This podcast is sponsored by GoGo, the leader in in-flight connectivity and wireless entertainment. Our superior technologies, best-in-class service, and global reach help planes fly smarter. Our partners perform better, and their passengers travel happier. Learn more at gogoair.com forward slash airline. Last week's episode, which was titled Relatively Resilient Revenues, was about Delta. But this week's episode, in which we'll look at United's earnings report, well, it could be titled something like rapidly reducing revenues. Yeah, maybe receding revenues. Or reeling revenues. Really rotten revenues. That's probably overstating it. Take your pick, but whatever you choose, make sure it sounds bad because United is getting beaten up right now on the revenue front. But that's just revenue. There were some bright spots in United's Q4 performance, and we'll talk about those. I'm Jason Cottrell, and joining me is the Commodore of the SS Airline Weekly, (laughs) Seth Kaplan, our managing partner. In addition to United, we'll talk about Southwest, who enjoyed its best fourth quarter since 1978, and Alaska Airlines, who's beating them all. Plus, Indigo and SpiceJet reported earnings. It's all coming up now as the Airline Weekly Lounge is open for business. Thanks for joining us. So, Seth, last week we talked about Delta as they kicked off earnings season. We've got a few more U.S. reports in since then, and everything is pretty good because of cheap fuel. But United did show a bit of tarnish. In episode 13, when we were examining United's third quarter, you mentioned that United has a history of underperforming in the fourth quarter. Would you say that's happened again? It has. Uh, United, you know, just looking, for example, at their operating margin, oh, about uh, four points lower than Delta. Uh, whereas in the third quarter, for example, they had closed that gap to, well, let's see, just um, less than two points, about a point and a half. Uh, and, and so that margin gap in the fourth quarter, uh, the four point gap, uh, roughly similar to what it was in the fourth quarter a year earlier. So so that's exactly what I was saying was was likely to happen. Of course, Americans still to come. Uh, but yeah, the fourth quarter, often a tough one for United. And it was relatively this year. Uh, you know, again, let's, let's remember how high the tide is. We're, we're talking about a disappointing quarter that was still not only United's, best fourth quarter ever but uh you know, still one of the best fourth quarters in the history of the airline industry <laughs> just one that was not as good uh, certainly as delta probably not as good as american although we'll see their numbers this week uh, and and certainly not as good as a couple airlines i know you want to talk about later southwest and alaska we wrote in airline weekly that united is facing severe revenue pressure how do united's revenues compare to delta's and how much of the revenue problem is in houston well uh, united is uh, significantly weaker than Delta right when it comes to revenue. I mean, United by revenue has become the somewhat significantly smaller airline at, at this point, uh, whereas in, in recent years, oftentimes United was the slightly larger airline than Delta as measured by revenue. And, and certainly that that total revenue picture, of course, stems largely from uh, the, the revenue situations in individual markets. Of course, it also just stems from uh, slightly different growth trajectories of, of the various airlines. United uh, having grown less last year in terms of capacity. But um, yeah, it it, uh, is suffering, uh, certainly in in Houston and and other energy markets, Uh, although not only there. United, of course, has 
a very broad exposure to Asia, of which Delta has a fair amount as well. Uh, but, you know, things there are a little bit tough. Um, yeah, United, as it looks around the world, just just sees a little bit of a tougher world for it to, to do well in than Delta does. And the gap there is, uh, yeah, it is largely expa- explained by the hub exposure. We mentioned last week that when you talk about Delta, Delta, of course, has many hubs. But Atlanta is more important to Delta uh, than any one hub is to United or, or, for that matter, to American. And things are going rather well in Atlanta, which is half of Delta uh, and, and, you know, well also in, in, in a number of its other hubs, uh, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City and so forth. Big rebound in, in Detroit, as we know, whereas United, you know, having severe revenue pressure in a very important hub, albeit one that doesn't make up as much a percentage of the airline as Atlanta does for Delta. But when you're talking about uh, energy companies in Houston spending 20%, 30%, 40% less on travel, and those are the kinds of numbers United is reporting, uh, you know, uh, obviously at some point that's going to weigh on the overall company. That is the epicenter of the revenue weakness, uh, e- even though it's not the only source of it. We listed in the issue a number of levers United can flip to improve revenues. Which of those are going to work and which aren't? Well, I think most make sense. I mean, they all seem like things that have worked elsewhere. One, quite simply, United is, is belatedly upgaging to larger regional jets from the uh, 50-seaters that they've sort of held on to longer than their competitors up, up to larger regional jets that, uh, first of all, are helpful in terms of unit costs because, uh, you, you know, you just get to spread the fixed cost of the jet among more paying passengers, you know, the same two pilots and two engines. And yeah, you burn a little more fuel, but uh, but not a whole lot more. So so it's more efficient. Uh, and then you get to sell a, a premium class of seats uh, or offer it as upgrades to your frequent flyers. And so you become more attractive, you know, in a market, you picture a place like uh, oh, Chicago, where they go head to head against American or lots of other cities where they go head to head for connecting traffic. You know, if American already has the the larger sort of two class regional jet fleet, uh, they have an advantage. People know that they can you know fly in first class uh, on American and, and not perhaps on United. Well, that advantage for American will go away. United will be able to get uh, some of that business. So, uh, you know, certainly that's very helpful. They're uh, also moving forward with some some new fair products, uh, you know, fair families that include various bundles of, of, of attributes. United, by the way, I mean, it, it's oversimplifying things to say that they've never been an innovator. They actually, with, with some of that, with you know, subscriptions for economy plus seats and those sorts of things, were, were, uh, were one of the earlier movers. Uh, but then in recent years, of course, they just sort of got bogged down with all their uh, technical issues, integration issues, and and uh, you know ha- have not really been the first mover on a lot of things lately. But anyway, they're going to be doing some more of that. And you know, there's one in- uh, initiative that, interestingly, on the surface, might not sound like a revenue enhancement uh, initiative, but it could be. And, and what I'm talking about is the fact that they have indicated that they're going to, in some way, match uh, Delta's basic economy fare product. I mean, they haven't said that in so many words, but that's clearly what they're talking about. Uh, that, of course, is, is is the fair product Delta has that you might call it the spirit match fares, where in some markets uh, they sell a certain number of seats where uh, they come with with um, restrictions that, frankly, a lot of people wouldn't put up with, uh, you know, no advanced uh, seat assignment, which in the United States is very rare. Uh, you know, they're, they're completely non-refundable, no way to uh, to change them and so forth, uh, you know, reduce frequent flyer benefits and the rest of it. Uh, and so United has indicated they're going to do something similar. Now, you think about that. Those are 
cheaper fares than the rest of the fares on the aircraft. You say, well, how is that a revenue enhancement initiative? And the reason it is, is because by sort of siloing off those most price sensitive passengers uh, and offering them something that a lot of people just wouldn't put up with, you know, and Delta has indicated it, look, a lot a lot of travelers are saying, we're, we're just not interested in that fare. We want the regular uh, economy fare, uh, you know, even if it's a, a few frills fare, it's, it's not the no frills fare. Anyway, uh, what it does is you don't have to dilute the revenue from the whole cabin. Uh, so instead of just sort of bringing down all your fares a little bit to try to match spirit, uh, you know, you you very very selectively match them and you retain your revenue from from everybody else. So uh, so even that where you're offering uh, you know ostensibly lower fares to some passengers, and I mean, and you are uh, in the end a, a revenue enhancement initiative. Also, the other thing to watch. What's essentially a slot swap between uh, JFK and Newark, basically, uh, you know, Delta concentrating some more over at uh, JFK, United expanding some more at Newark. Uh, Newark is a very powerful hub for United. It's something that has long worked well and continues to work well, even while you know a hub like Houston suffers. And if regulators allow, United's going to even get stronger there. So, so that too, uh, something for them to look forward to on the revenue side. So revenue has become the story, but not too long ago, we would have been talking about United's well-known operational difficulties, but they had some good news on that front, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, they say, you know, that by their measures, they're, they're just right up there with, with everybody else at this point. Uh, you know, and I think, look, if you talk to the corporate travel community at this point, um, you know, nobody sees United quite in Delta's league yet or anything like that, but, uh, but they made a lot of progress. I mean, a few years ago, they were... Uh, they were in a bad way in a, in, in a class all by themselves, uh, you know, in terms of operations, uh, you know, losing far more bags, you know, running a far less punctual operation uh, than their competitors, you know, far more uh, complaints to the Department of Transportation and all that. Uh, and, and now they're back to where, you, you know, they're, they're, they're in the ballgame with everybody else. Again, not, not maybe quite matching uh, Delta yet. But, you know, but but they're not this extraordinarily unreliable airline anymore. They've they've made a lot of progress and, and, and should get credit for that. So it seems like some of their problems are shifting from internal struggles, internal struggles to macroeconomic conditions, you know, such as the, they can't do much about Houston's economy. Unlike what our parents told us, sometimes it's possible to do a good job and get <laughs> rewarded less. Yeah, that, that's true. You know, we, we want to believe that. um that outcomes are are, are always a, a fair reflection of, of of what you put into something, and that's that's just not the case, you know, uh, all the time. A lot of it is is a question of of, of where you sit, um, and when you have you know a, a sources of strength like those oil markets um, to to which United ha has the most exposure suddenly become weak. Uh, you know, when, when you have a, a, a lot of capacity in Asia and, 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 you know, difficult markets like that, uh, yeah, sometimes there's not a whole lot you can quickly do. Now you can reallocate assets, you know, you, you can certainly, you know, send aircraft to other places and so forth, but uh, you can't move your Houston hub and you wouldn't want to, you know, at many moments in time, it's been a, a very good place to be. But, but yeah, no, they, they, um, if, if you look at them, they're an airline that just, aside from whatever sort of broader structural challenges they might have that might explain why they, they just kind of always seem to be less profitable than, than, uh, than their most profitable peers. Yeah. The, 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 the geography is an issue. American has, has its issues in Dallas, obviously, and American has the most exp exposure to Latin America. That's another thing that was long a blessing and, and has, has now become uh, somewhat of a curse. So, so of the big three, you know, Delta is, is partly 
you know, without taking any credit away from from, you know, some very good management there, uh, you know, partly the luckiest in the sense that they don't have uh, some of the most toxic exposure, notwithstanding their own Asia issues, which which uh, they very clearly continue to struggle with. All right. One final point on United. Um, this just jarred me. It says in Airline Weekly the following. United is not entirely convinced that actually selling more of its domestic first-class seats is a good idea. I don't even have an intelligent question here, except for what is this all about? Well, uh, yeah, really what they're saying is what every airline long believed. So uh, for for, for the longest time, uh, most domestic first-class seats were occupied by people who were either on long-haul itineraries and, and, you know, got the, the... premium seat thrown in as part of that, you know, longer, you know, somebody flying from, you know, uh, Fort Myers uh, via Atlanta to Tokyo and bought a business class ticket, you know, was sitting in the first class seat from from Fort Myers to Atlanta or somebody who was upgraded because they were uh, a well, I've just used the Delta example. So a medallion member or a premier on United or an elite on American. Um, and and uh, very few people were actually, uh, at least in the last 15 years or so, purchasing short haul first class tickets. And then I'm including corporate travelers. I mean, there aren't many corporations that are going to allow most of their employees these days to, to, to purchase a, uh, a, a short haul premium ticket. Uh, and, and airlines always saw that as just a, a useful weapon in terms of uh, attracting and re- retaining the best customers. Uh, you know, dangling the prospect of being upgraded would get people to concentrate their business on that airline. Sometimes to you know do inconvenient things. Uh, I think a, probably a lot of our listeners have made those mileage runs toward the end of the year, where you know it's December and you're going out of your way to connect on a certain airline because you, you need the miles to requalify. Uh, and so they were fine with that. Well, in recent years, you know, Delta certainly, um, you know, and Americans been doing a lot of this and United, too, has, has been has been doing more of this. The airlines have been pricing those first class tickets in a way where they were actually attractive for people to buy them. And, and basically what they've done is they've lowered the fares I, because it used to be if you looked at, you know, if an economy round trip ticket was, you know, $300, the first class one would be, you know, $1,100 or something that just not not most people would be tempted by. But now they'll price it in a way where, you know, where some people with a little extra spending power will say, oh, you know what? Sure. If that's, you know, $450 or $500 instead of $300 and I'll you know, get a comfortable seat and a meal and, and uh, you know, free drinks and the rest of it and all the you know, priority treatment at the airport. You know what? That's not a bad deal. I'm willing to do that. And so uh, they all, to varying degrees, have been doing a lot more of that and in doing so, giving away fewer upgrades. Well, what happens then? You know, then you, you've sort of, in another way, devalued the, the frequent flyer program. Now, you do have some people saying, you know what? I'm not willing to do all those same crazy things to requalify for, for status with that airline uh, because, uh, on one hand, I'm not getting the upgrades as often anyway, and hey, if I want to ever fly first class on an airline, I could just afford to buy it now. So so, so basically, United is, is sort of drawing that distinction with its peers and saying, you know what? Maybe... Maybe we're killing the golden goose here, uh, by which I mean the the uh, the frequent flyer programs. I mean these are extraordinarily profitable programs because of the the mileage sales to the credit card partners and all the rest of it. You know all the things that people do uh, as consumers that add up to billions of dollars for these programs. Uh, and and United is 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 just saying you know what maybe we have to be careful here about getting to a point where uh, you know where people don't 
find it worth it doing the kinds of things that they do to uh, to remain loyal to the airline. So so uh, what they're saying is it's not only not crazy, it's something that sort of everybody long felt about those uh, seats, but, but just sort of Delta and American have rather clearly come around to, hey, if, if you can get an extra couple hundred dollars in revenue, uh, you got to take it and move on and, you know, and still, of course, give, uh, give away a certain number of upgrades to your best customers. United's just saying it, it's a little bit less certain of the math on that. Next up is Southwest, an airline that doesn't have that puzzle to figure out. Uh, it's also an airline that is doing just great. Uh, Southwest posted a 20% operating margin in Q4. That beat Delta's 17%, United's 13%, and came close to Alaska's 21%. And if you're in the same neighborhood as Alaska, well, let's just say that's a nice neighborhood. The results were great, but the thing that jumps out to me is the 8% increase in revenues, which is not keeping with our theme. Delta's were only relatively resilient, remember? They were still down. How can Southwest revenues be up? Yeah, Delta, best of the bunch in terms of being down just a bit. Uh, um, as you said, uh, you know, most others down more. It, it, it's it's very impressive what 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 they've done. It, well, look, part of it is that you know, they, they've simply grown more rapidly as an airline than than Delta. So you know they, they've had capacity growth. But yeah, the the uh, the, the revenue tra- growth has tracked the p- capacity growth. I mean, part of it is you know I've said it several times talking about the other airlines, you know, where's your exposure? You know, and if you're Southwest, um, you don't have flights to Asia. You don't have flights to Latin America. Uh, you have very, very broad domestic exposure. Southwest, certainly, you know, we're talking about Houston. I mean, big airline in, in Houston and, and, uh, and uh, Texas more broadly, but you know they're, they're just a very, very diversely exposed airline and almost an entirely domestic U.S. airline at a time when domestic U.S. is 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 the very best place in the world to be. Uh, so um, so so yeah, they, they just have very very uh, healthy exposure all around, and um, uh, you know and look uh, the. The bad news for American is good news for Southwest and Dallas. Of course, the end of the Wright Amendment gave Southwest uh, the right to fly nonstop from Dallas Love Field, its home airport in Dallas, uh, to anywhere in the country. And what they've done is they've shifted a lot of capacity there from from elsewhere. And, uh, you know, almost by definition, that means they've pruned a lot of their worst performing routes. Southwest, uh, people might not think of them this way in, in sort of, the long view over the decades, but in recent years, anyway, they're, they're kind of a conservative airline in a lot of ways. You know, they're an airline that's rather loyal to its markets, to its airports overall. Uh, they did you know, some cutting after the air tra- uh, uh, transaction, but you know, in general, they don't like to leave markets. Uh, well, when, when they got that opportunity at Dallas, you could just see they had to make some tough choices about, look, we, we, we need to fund that growth with, by pulling back somewhere and, and the somewhere were, you know, going to be their weakest markets. And so they sort of simultaneously got all of these great new markets at Dallas as well, by the way, as at Reagan National, at LaGuardia, places where you know, other mergers and slot swaps and everything have you know, caused other airlines to have to give up some slots uh, that ended up in the hands of Southwest. And, and they funded all of those best new opportunities by cutting some of their worst markets, add it all up, and you get revenue growth. They're reducing capacity in Atlanta. How much of that is because of Spirit and Frontier? Not much of it in the sense that that was already going on. Uh, you know, it, it um, gosh, that that whole idea of buying AirTran to give them Atlanta, but then run Atlanta the way the rest of Southwest's network uh, was always run and somehow keep Atlanta as big as it had always been, it, it never really added up. 
you know, they they were always going to have to cut Atlanta if they were going to have more local traffic in Atlanta than Airtran had. Airtran was was mostly a connecting airline southwest of you know although it gets a, a huge number of connections uh, the majority of its passengers still fly uh, non-stop they're still local passengers you know they went in there on day one they said we're getting rid of the business class cabin uh, you know getting rid of some of the things that air trans uh, corporate travel base like there uh they, they said it was going to look more like a southwest station in terms of like i said more local traffic you know, which tends to to drive higher fares, but there just aren't as many of those people to go around, add it all up. And, um, and, and they were always going to have to cut there. They did begin cutting already a few years ago. Uh, and, and so if anything, what spirit and frontier are doing there is more filling a vacuum that was left partly by what Southwest ha- has already done. Although certainly uh, what they're doing, I'm sure, just makes it an easier decision for Southwest to sort of focus elsewhere. Atlanta is still, a, a, to be clear, a rather large station for them, but uh, but not what it once was. OK, it's time for another one of those existential questions. Mm. Forgetting all the results in the past few quarters, Seth, who would you rather be, United or Southwest? Understanding that Southwest is performing terrifically and United is underperforming, but I'll give you my answer. I would rather be United simply because I'm attracted to the safety of being one of just three legacy carriers in the mighty U.S. market. Am I crazy for wanting to be United? Mm, well, not crazy, but I'm not sure I would agree. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I think uh, that although United, you know, if we just sort of look at opportunities, you know, vis-a-vis where both airlines are today. Uh, so look, you know, eventually things will stabilize in Houston and, and, and United uh, has opportunities to turn its operations around. It's already done a lot of that. It's going to keep making improvements. It's, there will be some lag time in terms of, of people recognizing those improvements. Um, so again, like I said earlier, you talk to a corporate traveler, you know, tell you know, Delta versus United right now, they will all still tell you Delta, you know, even though, uh, the operational gap is, is, is perhaps shrinking Delta still, still continuing to get better from its excellent levels, but United, uh, is the one who, if anything has made the most improvements, but you know, that's not perception yet. So anyway, so just that fact alone, if they continue improving, you know, a year from now, there are going to be some people who are going to be recognizing that United has has become a, a a more reliable airline. But gosh, when I think of all the opportunities that both of those airlines have, the 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 biggest easy wins of all still belong to Southwest. Uh, and by the way, some of these will become easier once it gets its new reservation system. Uh, like what a little over a year from now. But, you know, in terms of the ancillaries that Southwest, uh, you know, whether because of IT issues or whether because of just philosophy hasn't yet improved, you know, the bag fees, you know, Southwest feels that it uniquely benefits from from, uh, you know, from not further unbundling its product and charging for bag fees. Yeah, it might be right, but the burden of proof is always on the airline that's making the argument that something that has been so extraordinarily profitable for every other airline that's done it. For some reason, it wouldn't make sense for that airline. And I'm talking most recently JetBlue. I mean, they basically said, whoa, you know, we 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 started the first bag fee because we thought it was a good idea, but we didn't know how well it was going to go. Really, it's a little bit hard to understand. And Southwest makes its arguments why uh, staying away from the bag fees makes sense for it. But um, but again, the burden of proof is still on on them. And if you buy that, you know what I just said. If you buy that, that's a big opportunity. You know, those are 
perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars in, in, uh, in you know, that could go straight to the bottom line. And anytime they decide to do that, other things like broader distribution, you know, they are not in, I mean, they're in the GDSs in a limited way, but they're not in the online travel agencies and so forth. You know, there's another one where, um, you know, I mean, we all understand why airlines like to distribute directly and Southwest could always certainly continue doing that. But there are a lot of people out there every day who are not booking tickets on Southwest because particularly in markets where they're not all that dominant, they don't think to go to Southwest.com. Uh, you know, it, it, and again, others that have sort of been afraid to go into the OTAs, but then have done it. The JetBlue, actually, same same airline, another example. Back when they did it, they said, oh my God, you know, we, 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 you know, we should have done that sooner. Um, so uh, assigned seating. Um, you know, Ryanair of all airlines, you know, started it in this very limited way, and then you saw them say, oh my goodness, what were we giving up all that time? You know, again, Southwest has their arguments for all of those things, why why they uniquely should not do those things, but they are things that have been very successful for all the airlines that have gone in that direction. Uh, and so, you know, I just think that those are some very big opportunities for them, even though I, I think they're probably farther than ever from 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 going those routes simply because they are doing so extraordinarily well. And, and so it's not as if they're in some kind of a crisis that's going to force them to do those things. Uh, you know, I, I just don't see why if there's even more money to be made, why you wouldn't want to want to go uh, take that, take advantage of, of, of those opportunities. But I, I just think that they have the, the easiest opportunities. And again, having said all that, We'll see once they get their new reservation system, and I'm sure there'll be some, and it's the, the Amadeus Altea system, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll want some time just sort of with it, with the status quo migrating and, and uh, getting their, uh, you know, getting comfortable with it. But then at some point, uh, it would be easier in that environment rather than with a very old system that they use now to, to, to make those kinds of changes. Well, I'm sure we can agree that we both want to be Alaska Absolutely. Airlines as as they are cleaning up in Seattle. Uh, 21% operating margin in Q4 and 24% for the year. Just sublime. Uh, we listed a huge number of reasons for their success, but one stood out to me. Alaska started 18 new routes in the second half of 2015, 11 of which were started in Q4, and many of those routes are already profitable. Why are they so good at that? Yeah, you, you think of uh, an airline that's growing very rapidly and ha that has a lot of immature markets uh, as being one that you know would be vulnerable because uh, uh, almost by definition, you think of immature markets, you know, so new markets as being as being tough ones, uh, needing needing uh, time to develop. Well, I mean, look, it, it's still different from. Let's say an airline, you know, Virgin America has always had this issue where when they start growing rapidly, as they're doing again now, a large percentage of their markets uh, are immature and that weighs on their profitability. Uh, you know, Alaska, I mean, they're, I mean, part of it is they're just still the number one airline in Seattle and, and, and uh, you know, and in Portland and in a lot of smaller markets in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, so they you know, the, 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 they just dominate that region in a way that Virgin America does it in a way that even JetBlue in a lot of places, and it's one that sort of struggled with that over the years when it grows too rapidly, that JetBlue doesn't, although it's sort of become, well, if, if not dominant, sort of the strongest airline, at least in, in, in a, a place like Boston, you know, Fort Lauderdale, elsewhere. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so, so Alaska just, um, you know, has that part of its country no longer to itself, maybe in, in, in the way it once did, particularly with what, uh, with what Delta is doing, but it, it's very, very strong there. Uh, you know, more prosaically, there's the fact that same, you know, I said that the tide is high earlier. I mean, it, it's just the fact that in this environment, everything does so well. That sort of 
the market that at another point in history would have been only modestly profitable is now uh, highly profitable. And the, uh, and the market that at another point in history would have struggled to break even can now be modestly profitable. It's just the fact that everything that airlines do uh, in, in, in the domestic U.S. market, uh, certainly into the near abroad in terms of short haul, it, 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 it just all seems to turn to gold right now. So, so they're doing it all at a rather good time in history, uh, notwithstanding certainly their their great prowess at, at doing what they do. All right, let's leave the U.S. for a moment. Uh, we talked about India in episode 22 a bit, and you said you were rather optimistic for uh, the I and the BRIC countries. <laughs> well, Indigo and SpiceJet posted last week uh, Q4 operating margins of 20% and 17% respectively. Some pretty nice numbers. Yeah, indeed. And and and, uh, and and look, to be clear, everything we talk about with India is relative. I mean, all, all kinds of challenges there still. But um, but yeah, I mean, you partly just start with the fact that 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 the economy there is is um, gives more reasons for optimism than uh, you know certainly Brazil, certainly Russia, uh, and and uh, then increasingly seems like China as well. Uh, you know, their currency is holding up better. That's almost always a good thing for airlines. Uh, but yeah, I know you said 20%, 17% of anything. The the uh, sort of the more relatively impressive number is that 17% for SpiceJet because this was an airline that was, you know, on the verge of going out of business a little more than a year ago uh, and, and has really turned itself around nicely. Uh, Indigo c- continues to be the class of the industry there. You, you know, just, just a, a, a very well-managed airline. You know, one of those, those, low-cost carriers that has been embraced by corporate travelers in the way Southwest is in the U.S., you know, EasyJet in, in, in Europe, and uh, you, you know, a management team with a very good reputation running other airlines around the world, too. Uh, but yeah, now I want to be clear about one thing. The fourth quarter in India is a peak quarter. So when you hear those margins that are similar to the ones that uh, that the U.S. airlines put up for the fourth quarter, the calendar fourth quarter I'm talking, you know, the, the, those are those could be the high water mark for the Indian carriers, whereas for the U.S. carriers, when you see them putting up margins like those in in you know in in an off peak quarter, uh, it, it, that that's the greater relative achievement. But it takes nothing away from the fact that that Indigo and SpiceJet both earned a lot of money that quarter. All right, we'll wrap it right there. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate it as always. Uh, you can find Airline Weekly. Uh, you can find the Airline Weekly Lounge at iTunes or at the Airline Weekly website. Like the best things in life, the lounge <laughs> is free. Thank you for stopping by. 